0: I'm Kate Daniels. Get ready for an amazing adventure into space. Dean Regas has been the astronomer for the Cincinnati Observatory since 2000. He's a renowned educator, author, and a national popularizer of astronomy. Space and space travel is something we're hearing about so much more in a variety of ways, which we're going to discuss with Dean. While that is still the area of a select few, Dean's new book, 1,000 Facts About Space is a way we can all experience this vicariously. So let's launch into a look at the book with Dean. Dean Regas, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it is definitely a feeling of a going on an adventure to have a conversation with an astronomer. And particularly, I think at this time, it it feels like energy about uh, the stars, the universe, things dealing with astronomy and space travel are really kind of uh, right there um, in our faces or, you know, things that are being discussed regularly now. Do you have that sense oh. of it?
1: Definitely. Space is really big right now. We're kind of coming off a year, last year, where the James Webb Space Telescope, I think, was the biggest science story. That telescope that went up a million miles from Earth is delivering these incredible, stunning images of the universe. We've got our uh, sending humans back to the moon is in the cards and other missions to other places. And just uh, lots of really cool events happening in the sky, too. So this is uh, all turning out good, and I'm, I'm so pleased that people are really into astronomy as much as I am.
0: Well, speaking of that, has this been a passion of yours uh, since childhood, perhaps?
1: Well, not really. That's the thing. When I was a kid, I didn't have uh, access to look through telescopes. So I never kind of had that aha moment, those wow moments with the universe. So I found this later on in life after I graduated from college uh, I was working at a planetarium doing nature education there, and that's where I fell in love with the subject and just dove on in, and it's like the stars were talking to me. And I, uh, so I've been uh, involved in astronomy ever since, uh, going on 25 years of experience in the astronomy field.
0: And a lot of those years have actually been at the, in Cincinnati at the observatory there.
1: Correct. Yes, we have a historic observatory here in Cincinnati with the, one of the oldest telescopes in the world. It's 177 years old and uh, made out of wood and brass and we let people look through it and see the stars, planets and more. And uh, so it's there I've kind of uh, honed my skills as a as a public speaker and really an astronomy popularizer so I go around the country giving talks and give about 150 talks on astronomy or around the country and uh, uh, from that, uh, I, I pulled my one thousand favorite facts to, into this book, this new book by National Geographic.
0: And kudos to National Geographic for really taking us on all these incredible adventures on this planet and here outside of this planet, out into space that uh, you know that they uh, make room for this and fund this because they see the value of it, right?
1: Oh, absolutely! I think there's, uh, you know, for kids, they there's so many kids that go through the stage of really being fascinated by astronomy. I call it the star stage. Usually comes either before or after the dinosaur stage, but they get into stars really uh, well and planets and and so this is kind of for those kids that are really into that. But then it's also for the adults that uh, have like a passing interest too, because you can flip to any page, learn a new facts every day, and it, Takes your imagination away a little bit and might in, inspire some adults to get back into astronomy as well.
0: And, and perhaps with a little more substance to it, because we kind of can have this, uh, what, uh, armchair view of it and, and watch launches or, or launch, watch some documentaries. But this really gives us a chance to get into some of the detail and maybe spark more passion.
1: Yeah, I hope so. That's that's kind of my idea, is that this is uh, an accessible subject. It, it seems like an intimidating thing, the vastness of the universe, the distances to all these things. But there's great entry points to this, and, and I hope that people get from this book that they can kind of connect with their local amateur astronomy club or their local planetarium or observatory or science center,
0: and uh,
1: make it a, a point to get the whole family out and look through telescopes and kind of try to view the night sky themselves.
0: Absolutely. That really sounds like such an excellent thing to, to really do as a family, to do this kind of exploration. And it, it, it's fun, it's educational, and it, who knows where it could lead here because we have the mountains nearby. I always think about and haven't done this, but to go out to the mountains to, to look at the night sky because it's just so unobstructed.
1: Yeah, and, and, um, you know, getting out of the cities is always nice. You get uh, where you see a little more stars. There's so much light pollution in the cities that it's hard to see the stars as they're meant to be. And, you know, for me, this is, you know, my job is to do astronomy, but it's also something I use on my vacation time. When I'm on vacation, I go seek out kind of darker skies and visit the national parks. And and for you all in the Northwest, it's... um, you know, Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon are some great viewing locations to to go check out.
0: Yes, absolutely. So as we're at this point, perhaps thinking about some summer or spring vacation planning, that is certainly something to keep in mind. And this book, A Thousand Facts About Space could be the impetus or take along to, you know, just as an adjunct to to those travels and, and read more about space.
1: Absolutely, this would be a great, uh, you know, uh, road trip book. You know, You're in the back of back of the car, riding around and uh, learn some facts as you go along. And I, you know, I never thought of that. This you yeah, know, maybe we should market this as a road trip book. This is good, huh?
0: <laughs> well, all right.
1: summertime. We'll we'll start about, we'll start that up for summertime.
0: Exactly. Yes, all these really great things to to uh, to plan for and 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 realize how much there is to learn and how great our our universe is.
1: Yeah, and and we so I couple the the, the thousand facts, and it's it, it's with these amazing images uh, that National Geographic can put together things that they get from NASA websites, from NASA missions, from other telescopes, and so the the pictures kind of uh, go right with the uh, the facts really well. So, um, and it's broken down in different chapters, so you can. There's sections on the moon. There's sections on the sun. There's sections on galaxies, and even space travel. You know, humans in space and and robotic missions as well.
0: And when you, when we think about that, that there are, it kind of answers part of the question about thinking of a thousand facts. And you're mentioning some of these categories. But a 1,000 still seems like a lot. But did you have to, like, really whittle away at it? Did you have a lot more and you had to really make some hard decisions?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I know that's one of the things that, boy, I, you know, I put this together and uh, there's, uh, I'm sure, hmm, boy, let me think, how many made it to the cutting root floor? We could have a, you know, a whole other book of extra facts that didn't make the cut. Um, so yeah, these were definitely the the thousand uh, the top thousand of them that uh, that we worked great with National Geographic to kind of pick the ones, and they they kind of originally sprung from my talks that I give. So I give talks around, and and that these were like the the, the kind of facts that I would repeat, and that the audience would really kind of uh, gravitate towards. And uh, so there were some that. I had to argue and advocate for, and there are some that they convinced me, yeah, I probably should be out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what are uh, perhaps a couple of the top, most unusual facts that, that you highlight here?
1: Well, it depends on your, uh, your preference, but there's some good stuff about black holes. These are the giant objects, uh, massive objects in deep space that anything that falls into them disappears, uh, and no light can uh, escape from it. Then you've got things like mega-gigantic stars that are billions of times bigger than our sun. Um, We've got supernova explosions when stars die. They give off these humongous uh, galaxy-shaking blasts. Um, And then things like, uh, you know, how long does it take to go to the moon? If you really wanted to fly there, it takes you about three days. Uh, And uh, not too bad of a trip. Three days there, three days back nice week long trip
0: <laughs> and actually is that what it has taken the astronauts did it take them 3 days to reach there or m- my goodness that's decades ago that there was the first m- the first moon landing so did it actually take more than 3 days to get there
1: no that's the that's the kind of standard timeline because it- you don't want to go too fast because if you go too fast, then you got to turn around and slow back down. And that takes energy slowing down. So there's the sweet spot of, of wanting to get just the right speed that you don't have to waste all your fuel and stopping. So that's the you know, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, that was their, uh, their ticket. And it uh, seems like the new missions are going to be similar timelines, uh, not much different from that.
0: Oh, interesting. And then when we do actually have space tourism, uh will no doubt be the same sort of thing.
1: Well, that, that's the, the big unknown is how space tourism is going to work. It's right now in kind of its infancy stage where they just uh, send some people up uh, to uh, not even to uh, to around the Earth. They just send them up about 65 miles up and then come back down. So it's about a 15-minute trip up and back. Um, But uh, I think the next step will be when we send tourists around the Earth. That is a big step up from just going up and back down. Um, And uh, I, I think that's probably coming along pretty soon, but not sure exactly when.
0: So, Dean, with all of your interest in space, is that something that you kind of hope to do is perhaps go into space?
1: Oh boy, I don't know. I've uh, I I don't think it's in the likely candidate. I don't think I'm a likely candidate for it. Uh, right now, it seems to be you have to be a long trained astronaut, the best of the best. And astronauts, the ones that I've met are the you know, superb human specimens. Um, I'm probably a little too old to make the uh, astronaut camp anymore, but. Uh, and then I'm also probably not rich enough to make it into the the billionaires in space. So I've, you know... Of course, it's in my mind that someday, somehow, somebody might invite me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, I'm not holding my breath for for a trip on a rocket.
0: I see. My, my husband is kind of in the same category. You know, just you know, wishes that there were had been some way to be an astronaut because it, it all just is so fascinating to him. Uh, so I, I can. I get where where you're coming from, but it it certainly is wonderful to watch it happening, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it really is. And um, you know, I think that the the pictures we got back from the Artemis mission just a few weeks ago was, you know, this view of the the little tiny Earth at such a great distance in the blackness of space. It's it's you know, we we've seen these pictures before of Earth and space, but seeing it again, um and, you know, it's all around social media, it's all around uh, uh, everywhere, and just kind of reminding ourselves, because we do get kind of caught up in our, uh, you know, the, the what's around us and, and the neighborhood and everything like that. But I think getting that big perspective, that universal perspective of where we are kind of, uh, I don't know, it definitely helps me. It helps me uh, get through things.
0: And some might feel so intimidated, like, oh, we're just such a tiny speck uh, that, wow, how, how do we even factor into the vastness of what this universe is and other galaxies? It makes my mind just kind of implode in the sense of like, okay, I can't even think along these lines. Yeah, that's the the potential
1: downside to this is that you see how gigantic everything is out there in the universe and how small you are in reference to it. And uh, I guess, to be honest, I kind of got over that a few years ago uh, because of, I thought, well, okay, sure, we're small, we're tiny, uh, but look at... What we can do from our little perch in the universe, our little planet, and and we don't even need to go off of the planet. We can build these telescopes that can see, you know, light years and millions of light years away, and and take us to there and find other planets around other stars, and send robots to Mars. And um, so it's it's part of the exploration, and and every day. Every day we're finding something new. Every day we're discovering new objects and new things, and um, it's uh, it's just an uh, you know it's an ongoing adventure that you know generations of, of humans have been doing and and will continue to do.
0: And you're right. It is amazing to think of what we've created like these telescopes, like the Artemis and the James Webb telescope that we've sent into space, that it, that to me is mind boggling. But it is human beings that have, that is their talent, their gift, and they're doing that. And each of us has something in that way and some part of the, of our whole world that we work on. So I guess, yes, that's a good perspective to take
1: yeah i mean we're we're teeny tiny but we're smart teeny tiny little things that's for sure we're we're pretty crafty and ingen- you know great engineers and ingenious things um you know to be able to build a rocket and to send it out there and to be able to build gigantic telescopes um it's 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 inspiring what humans can can do when they when they put their minds to it and um but it it's also not a thing that's just for scientists. This is something, the field of astronomy is is one of those that are just really accessible to everybody, and to to be able to see the night sky and put your eye up to a telescope is just such a great thrill.
0: And the thing is, here's a way for us to vicariously go on some of these journeys by going through the book, through these 1,000 facts about space that National Geographic has provided us, along with you, Dean Regas, that we can really begin to appreciate and and who knows for for a, a young person a young student looking at this what it might inspire for what they want to do with their life
1: I that's what that's my hope is that this is something that uh, you know the kids can pick up and and find something in there that really just strikes their imagination and and you know for me when I was little I uh, you know, it was those pictures of Saturn that really kind of struck me and the, the rings of Saturn and, and maybe for other people it might be like asteroids or comets or things like that and just to kind of see that there's more out there than just uh, what's around their neighborhood and uh, just kind of imagining, thinking big. I think that's that's one of the big, uh, uh, the big perks of astronomy and, and hopefully this book uh, takes people there.
0: Yes, and some of the just... Un- unbelievable pieces of information. For instance, like Jupiter po- uh, potentially having diamonds floating in the- in its clouds. Like, I mean, would- is this supposed to be diamonds like we know diamonds, the stones?
1: Well, that's a that one's a funny one because it's like it's theorized that sure we've got there's these elements and compounds that could be in Jupiter's upper atmosphere, and what that actually looks in practice is is a little uh, different than than maybe you might imagine. But Jupiter is this really weird, gigantic, gas giant planet that uh, is mostly hydrogen and helium, and so there's no solid surface or anything like that. But in the cloud tops in the the atmosphere, there's some wild possibilities of things that could be up in there. Um, And, uh, you know, it's not like we can go up and fly up there with a big net and bring the diamonds back with us. And so we can't quite say one hundred percent certain, that this is the conditions are right that that could be a possibility way up there.
0: It it's all just so amazing, and it, it again kind of makes my mind uh, shiver because it's like really, what is this saying? You know, thinking of the gases and such, and no solid substances, but it but it is a planet, so. But it's it's not a planet such as Earth where you have actual land mass?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we have two very distinct types of planets in our solar system. We have the four rocky planets, Earth being one, with Mercury, Venus, and Mars being the other three. And then you have these four giant uh, behemoth uh, gas spheres of, uh, of, of planets called Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And... Um, so it's, it's what holds all this together and what holds all those gases is just the mass of all that gas. And even, you know, it's weird to think of, but the, you know, the air and the oxygen in the room that you're in has weight. It has mass to it. Uh, but Jupiter has this extreme, uh, you know, conglomeration of gases that have such a big gravity well that it holds itself together. And the sun is an even bigger example. It's the same kind of composition as Jupiter, but on an even bigger scale that gravity is holding it all together as well.
0: Wow. This is amazing. This is not something I knew. This is, I'm learning something just by our having this conversation. But is this really something that's well known or, again, it's a matter of education?
1: I think so, and and it's um and that's the I, I, I hope the appeal of the book is that it's kind of across the generations I think it it works really well with the students that are you know that they're in school learning about astronomy it's a good enhancement to what they might be learning in school, and then also great for the adults who haven't the uh, who forgot all the things they learned back in fifth grade and uh, when they were taking astronomy and to see actually how much more we've learned. So the, the, the pace of of our understanding of the universe is, is accelerating. And so what we thought we knew 20 years ago is a little different nowadays. And uh, that's what's exciting. It's a very dynamic subject.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, and the fact that we have so many even like amateur level uh, uh, Telescopes available that we can, you know, set them up somewhere in a dark, dark backyard, or or take them up somewhere mm-hmm. to uh, outside of the city or up to the mountains, and and be able to take a look. I I know when the comets have come back, come by over the years. Um, my husband has a small telescope. We've loved to sit out in the yard and just wait. Uh, although, again, there is some light pollution, so it's a bit distracting. But still, it's fascinating to watch for them.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, right now there's this comet that's in the sky that's gotten a lot of attention, which, uh, unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the comet that uh, maybe if you've heard about, a comet being in the sky, it is going to be very, very faint. Um, and so it's, uh, some sites are saying it's going to be visible to the naked eye, but that's really, really highly unlikely. So we're, we're trying to tamp down people's expectations about this comet. But will, hopefully someday we'll have a comet like we did in the 90s, uh, Hale-Bopp, uh, right. the one before it called Hyukotake, that were these great comets with these long tails across the sky, and uh, it's been, boy, yeah, 25 years since the last good comet. So I think we're due.
0: And that one was Hale Bopp, wasn't it? Yeah, 20- 1996,
1: 1997. That's the name of that comet, Hale Bopp. But right. that that was really a dramatic sight, and uh, um, there's nothing been like that since then. So this is uh, it's it's been a kind of we're in a co- comet drought right now, unfortunately.
0: And and yet with the universe so vast, you think, like, I, I just want to see my shooting stars once in a while. And that's hard to come by. But those are spectacular.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And you get a good meteor shower. There's, there's certain ones that are really uh, solid performers every year, like the Perseids in August, uh, Leonids in November, Geminids in December. And there's a good chances to get out. Of course, I kind of like the summer one, the Perseids in uh, August because uh, being out on a cold, chilly December night in Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> looking for shooting stars is a little less fun than an August yes. uh, night uh, so uh, that's the one I always look forward to
0: and so tell us, have you been successful in seeing uh, any of that meteor shower really happening?
1: I'm a real bad luck charm when it comes to meteor showers <laughs> there was uh, the, the the greatest one in our generation was in two thousand one. And uh, we got clouded out largely here in the Cincinnati area, so I didn't get to see it. Um, there was other people not too far away, and people around the country, you're seeing you know, shooting stars every couple seconds going across the sky, which was just it looks like the sky is falling. So uh, that, I missed that one. I got clouded out. And uh, ever since then, probably the best I've seen would maybe see about 20, 30 shooting stars an hour. So nothing that kind of uh you know, was was, you know, apocalyptic looking, but still kind of cool. And so I just always tell people if you're gonna go looking for meteor showers,
0: kind of uh
1: lower your expectations. You're not gonna see like a laser light show light show. Uh just get a comfy chair, warm drink, kick back and and maybe you'll see
0: something. Right. And the thing about these is the light as I understand it, or sort of understand it, this is light that is thousands, if not even multi-thousands years old, finally hitting our atmosphere. Is that correct?
1: For the meteors, these are, generally speaking, there's there's two varieties. One is it's a comet piece. This is a piece of ice and dust that came off the tail of a comet that's been circling around the sun for a long time. Uh, and those all burn up before they hit the ground because they're mostly made of ices. But then the heavier ones are from old asteroids. So those are made of rock and, in some cases, metal that they'll shoot across the sky and turn green in color and then can even survive to hit the ground to become meteorites. Um, so those are objects that travel from farther out in the solar system and come closer to us uh, just by chance or uh, and then shoot across the sky for a while. But so they are—they're not that far away. um, And but things like stars and galaxy, those those are things that are trillions of miles away and even farther.
0: Oh yes, those numbers just are are so mind-boggling, aren't they? But yeah,
1: yeah, no doubt.
0: And yet they're so fascinating to consider, and that's why again. Being able to hold a book and turn these beautiful color pages, all these photographs that are there, really gives us that vicarious experience of thinking about that and looking up more facts, potentially, or just really having a lot of fun together.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And so, uh, yeah, this book, uh, A Thousand Facts About Space, is available wherever you can get your books. Um, And, uh, yeah, if folks want to know more about uh, things that they can do uh, with, uh, you know, learning more about the night sky, uh, I recommend coming to our website, CincinnatiObservatory.org, where I uh, actually do online classes. You can take a class with me from anywhere around the country and learn about the night sky
0: um, and uh, find
1: out a little bit more about the book and some other books as well
0: which all sounds really fascinating. So one last kind of quick thing about Pluto, since we were talking about that outer part of the universe, why is it not a planet anymore? Yep. This is one of the sticking
1: points for people, uh, uh, adults that always remember Pluto being a planet.
0: Yes. And the
1: big bad astronomers kicked it out of the planet club. But it was one of those things where it it took me a while to, uh, to accept it as well. And it, uh, but it, it ended up making sense it's because that uh, astronomers had discovered so many more things out there in the 1990s and 2000s, and uh, the number of objects out where Pluto lives sharing its orbit and composition and origin, it got too many to call them all planets. And so Pluto is in a new population of, of objects, which I like to call Plutoids, but some people call dwarf planets. Um, so, yeah, Pluto's not in the same uh, same ballpark as Neptune or Earth, but it's still a really cool, amazing world.
0: Yes, yes. See, that's great to be—if I knew it, I'd forgotten that, but great to be reminded of why that all changed uh, some years back. So— Wonderful to have you with us this morning, Dean Regas, and bringing us this beautiful book. It's it's just so fascinating from National Geographic, "1,000 Facts About Space." So we can pick it up at any of our favorite book sources and bookstores. And you said we can look you up uh, on the website under Cincinnati Observatory, right?
1: Yep, CincinnatiObservatory.org, and uh, yep, hopefully. Uh you can find out a little bit about what we're doing there and maybe join me in an online class.
0: That really is, sounds like a wonderful invitation. Again, you know, something to for families to potentially do together before they take the road trip or after the road trip where they take this book along as a companion as well.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. I'm going to add that to the list of uh, selling points for this thing because yeah, summer road trips this is the perfect book.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been so perfect, too. Just, I've so enjoyed speaking with you, Dean. Thank you for your passion about your work, all about space, and for sharing some of that with us this morning.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You're so welcome.